What does the Bible really say about mental health? Spoken by Pastor Clayton Chan. Good afternoon, Metro. So good to see all of you, and thanks for joining us um, in our time of worship, whether you're here in person or if you're joining us online. Uh, if you would just bow your heads with me, I'm going to begin with a prayer. God, we thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. We know, God, in the midst of everything that's going on, wherever we may be facing, God, that you are with us, that you are present with us, and there's no better place to be than in your embrace. And so, God, I just pray right now for each and every person here that we would feel your comfort, we would feel your arms around us. And I just pray, Father, that you would take away every distraction, God. We live such busy lives. So many things are on our minds. And I just pray, Father, that you would take away every distraction right now so that we could sit at your feet, that we could be present with you that we can listen and learn, but most of all, draw nearer to you. And so, God, I pray, Father, that you would open up our eyes to be able to see you, that you would open up our ears to hear you, and our hearts, God, to feel and experience your power today, right now. I thank you, God, for what you are about to do, and I just pray, Father, that your will would be done right now in this moment. I pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Our culture has become increasingly transparent whether it's at church, at the office, or places like the gym, or even small group, people love to share about their lives, whether it's their addictions, their fears, uh, it could be marital issues, or any other personal details about their lives. One, I once had a HVAC repairman come to my house, and he came to look at my HVAC system, and he stayed for over an hour just sharing with me his dissatisfaction with work. This is a complete stranger. And he just started venting towards me about how skilled and knowledgeable he was and how his company didn't value him. Complete stranger. We're so open about so many things, but as a culture, I think there's one thing that we do not like to talk about, and that's mental illness. Even though a good percentage of us have either, has, have either dealt with or, have experienced, or know somebody who's experienced mental illness at one point in time. Mental illness is incredibly common. It is the number one cause of disability in North America. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, about one in four adults 18 and older have suffered or struggled with a diagnosable mental illness. And you would never know it because no one likes to talk about it. And that's just adults. But according to the U.S. Surgeon General, every year, an estimated 20% of children are mildly impacted by some kind of mental disorder. And I think that number is actually pretty low because in children, it's so much harder to diagnose, right? Children are still growing, they're developing. There's so many changes that are happening in their lives that it's actually hard to diagnose some of these things. And then we haven't even considered how the pandemic has impacted those numbers. I feel like the number of those struggling with mental health has only gone up since the pandemic has started. And where has the church been in all of this? Where has the church been in all of this? I feel like the church has missed out on an opportunity to care for those who are struggling in this area. 
When it comes to things like cancer or COVID or other physical ailments, I think we do a really good job. We like to pray for others. We like to bring meals to them. We like to visit them. But we are far less likely to do so with somebody who has a mental disorder. And I think the reason why is because we just don't feel fit or equipped to handle that situation. We're afraid that we're going to say the wrong thing or afraid that we're going to do more harm than good. But we as a church have a part to play in helping those who are struggling with mental illness. So today, as we continue in our series, what does the Bible really say? We're going to take a look at what the Bible says about mental health, answering the question, how, does, how should the church respond to those suffering with mental illness? How should we respond as the church? And to begin, we're going to start with Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Mark chapter 12, and we're going to start with verse 30. And just to give you some context, uh, this before the verse that we're reading, right? Jesus has been teaching when a teacher of the law comes and asks him a question. The question is, what is the greatest commandment? And in verse 30, we see Jesus' response. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. In Jesus' reply to the teacher of the law, he says that every part of us, our entire being is connected. We have a heart, soul, mind, and physical body. We aren't just physical people living in this world, experiencing and navigating what the world has to, to offer us. But God has given us minds to think with, hearts to feel with, and a soul to connect with. Our entire being is connected, but we place more emphasis and care on certain parts. For instance, we are far more likely to go to the gym to care for ourselves physically than we are to go see a friend or a counselor for our emotional health or even a therapist or a psychiatrist for our mental health. When we suffer in one area, we are likely suffering in another area. About a month ago, I went to Disney with my family for vacation and it was the worst vacation ever. <laughs> worst vacation ever. It was uh, our first time taking our youngest, Wyatt, who's a, a year old, uh, on a plane ride. And we discovered that he hates planes, right? He loves to walk around. He doesn't like being constrained. And so for the full plane ride, he was just crying. Right? What should have been a two-hour flight turned out to be a six-hour flight. Six hours of this one-year-old crying the whole time. And then when we get to Florida, it is brutally hot. It is humid, it is hot, and so it made waiting in line unbearable. So as we went to Disney, as we're waiting for these rides, it was just so miserable because Esther and I were holding our both, both of our kids, we're sweating, waiting for these rides. It was so unbearable that we could only do like half days at the theme park. But the worst part of the vacation was the last night. On the last night, my son Weston, my three-year-old, he was playing and he falls back and hits his head on the dresser. And so there's blood coming out of his head and Esther and I are freaking out because we're like, what just happened? And so we're trying to get towels and ice, try to stop the bleeding and we're freaking out because we're like, what do we do? We're in Florida, we don't know anyone. We don't know where the hospitals are. 
and our child is bleeding. And so we're just like, you know what? We need to go to the emergency room. Let's just be safe. Let's figure out like if he's okay or not. So after we stopped the bleeding, we went to the emergency and we we're like, we need to go to the hospital. And then Weston, he just hears the word hospital. And he's like, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm fine. Like, I'm okay now. Like, we don't need to go to the hospital. Right? For him, what, what started out as physical pain with bleeding turned out to be mental and emotional distress. Right? These things are all connected. But thankfully, when we did go to the hospital, it just turned out to be a superficial wound. So please, don't be worried about him. Right? It was just a superficial wound. All they said was, we just need to put some ointment on him. But our minds... Our souls, our bodies, our mental health, all of these things are connected. God created us with bodies, minds, souls, and hearts. And when we don't address one of these areas and care for it, then it affects all parts of our being and we suffer. And this is why we need to make mental health a priority just as much as we do our emotional or physical health. But to better understand how to care for ourselves mentally, we need to understand where mental illness comes from. And so what does the Bible say about mental health? Nothing. The Bible does not say explicitly anything about mental illness. The word for mental illness or mental health is not found in the Bible. Words like schizophrenia, PTSD, or depression are not found in the Bible. Because in those times, people didn't have the words or the scientific understanding to be able to categorize these things. But we do see that although these words do not, are not found in the Bible, we see instances of people with mental illness, and they did exist during those times. In fact, because people don't have words to define mental illness, nor the know-how to categorize it, they just lump mental disorders into one category. Right. What we call mental illness today, they called insanity or madness. The word for madness and insanity shows up 27 times in the Bible, 19 times in the Old Testament, and eight times in the New Testament. And one of those instances is in 1 Samuel chapter 21. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me also to 1 Samuel chapter 21? This is 1 Samuel chapter 21, and we're going to read verses 12 through 15. It says, David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Achish said to his servants, look at this man. He is insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? David was on the run from Saul when he finds himself before the Philistine king Achish. And if you know David's history, it was David who took down the Philistine champion Goliath. And so David, fearing retribution and revenge, he thought that this king would hurt him. So he comes up with this plan to act like a crazy man. He starts moving around in all weird manners, put it, touching the gates of these doors, and also letting drool drip down his beard. And we're told that his plan works. The king believes that David is insane, and he sends him away. 
But by his response, we learn a few things about mental illness in the Bible. First, mental illness was very common in those days. Not only does the king mention that he already has enough madmen to deal with, but he also can diagnose David for being insane just by watching and observing how he was acting. You can't diagnose or name something that you've never experienced or seen before. For instance, if I were to hold up a Walkman, most of you in this room would know what that is. But if you were born in the year 2000 or after, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Right? Just from the name, Walkman, it doesn't give you really any clues to what it is. But a Walkman is a cassette tape player for anyone who does not know that. And it went extinct a very long time ago. But for us who have experienced it, who have seen it, who have put it on to our ears, we know what that is and we can name it because we experienced it and know what it is. It's the same thing with mental illness in the Bible. Mental illness was very common in biblical times, so much so that people can name it. But we also see that people with mental illness were looked down upon. There was a stigma against those who were mentally ill. They were judged and seen as less than. And one reason for this is because mental illness is not seen as a medical issue, but a spiritual one. Take, for instance, a time that Jesus was called insane in John chapter 10, verse 14 through 21. Starting with verse 14 in John 10, it says, I am the good shepherd, and this is Jesus speaking. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for my sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees about their spiritual blindness when he shares two parables. In the first, he tells them, I am the gate that the sheep enter into, revealing that it's only through Jesus that we are saved. He is the only way. And in the second parable, he says, I am the good shepherd and the sheep know me. And, care, and the good shepherd cares for the sheep, revealing that God cares for us. And he also demonstrates his plan of salvation, that he was going to lay down his life for his sheep, for us. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, revealing to them what the kingdom is going to be like. And then his listeners respond. And we see that there's two responses. The first is some of them believed in who Jesus was and what he was claiming to be as the Savior. But then there was another group that just said he is insane and demon-possessed. 
They associated his insanity with a demon possession. There was a stigma towards the people who were suffering with mental illness because it was thought that the cause of that disorder was sin or demonic possession. This is why oftentimes those struggling with mental illness were viewed as unrighteous. For them, it was a spiritual issue. While I don't think that that sentiment exists today, there's still a stigma against those who are suffering in this area. People still view those who are struggling with mental illness as if something was wrong with them, as if they were a pariah. But there could be nothing further from the truth. If you are struggling with mental health today, there is nothing wrong with you. There is absolutely nothing wrong with you. While there are instances in the Bible where mental illness is caused by disobedience or a spiritual attack, the Bible also says that it's a result of living in a broken world where sin exists. Paul writes in Romans chapters 8, uh, verse 20 through 22, he says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Sin has corrupted everything. Paul talks about a time in the future where we will no longer be bound to the effects of sin. When Jesus comes back, he will liberate us from the decay that we are subject to right now. But until that day, we experience the decay of our physical, spiritual, and even our mental states. Sin corrupted everything. This is why mental illness is not just a spiritual issue, but it's also a medical issue. In the past, the church has said that you just need to pray more or have greater faith in dealing with this. But that is unbiblical and not true. If you are struggling with mental health today, please seek out medical professionals who have training in dealing with these disorders. If you need some resources, you can find it on our website. You can check out emetro.org slash help, or you could also check out emetro.org slash counseling, where you can find some resources to medical professionals. Getting help may mean that you just need to talk to somebody, or it may mean that you need to take medication, but both of those things does not mean that you lack faith. God uses all means to help those who are suffering. Jesus even did this in his own ministry. In the New Testament, we see that Jesus uses physical remedies to bring about healing on three occasions. He healed three different men by applying his own saliva to their damaged ears, eyes, and tongue. Whether God heals through physical remedy or simply through his power, it is God who is the healing agent. God is sovereign and has many ways to heal us. Mental illness is both a spiritual and a medical issue and thus should be handled as such. It should not be the role of the church or the pastor to deal with medical issues, right? Yes, there is a place for counseling, and that will help. But for serious issues, we need to allow the medical professionals do what they were trained to do. But as the church, we also have a role to play. 
When it comes to mental health, our role as a church is to care for and walk with those who are struggling by being present. It's to be present. Just be present. It sounds so simple. But sometimes the simplest act have the greatest impact. You don't need to have the right words to say or have all the answers. But in being present, you remind others that they are not alone in this battle. I think mental illness can be so difficult to deal with because it's an attack on two fronts, right? There's one front where you are suffering because of the mental disorder. But then there's this other suffering that comes along because in this battle, you feel all alone. You feel like nobody can relate to you. You feel like nobody understands what you're going through. And this is why presence and community is so important. Community is so important for people to find healing. When we are present with each other and living in community, we learn that we're not alone, but we have people willing to carry our burdens with us. And this is not just those who are suffering with an illness, but it's also for those who are caring for a person who is dealing with the illness. Because mental illness does not just affect the person who has the disorder. It affects those closest to them, their family members and their friends. And so we have to broaden our view of what it means to be present with those who are struggling, not only to those who are suffering with the disorder, but also the friends and the family members who are impacted by it. Your presence is a powerful weapon in the battle against mental illness. While only God can heal, we can help others cope with their pain and even take a step toward recovery by just being present with them. We cannot minimize the power that presence has in helping others through suffering and hardship. So what does being present look like? What does it mean for us as a church to be present? First, we are present when we intercede in prayer. When we intercede in prayer. Prayer is powerful. We pray because we believe that God not only hears us, but he's also going to answer us. Prayer is a dialogue. It's not a one-way conversation. But we do have to be careful to think that when God doesn't give us what we want, that he doesn't listen to us. Right? He's always listening. It's just that sometimes he answers in a way that we, that's different from what we want because he knows what's best and we trust that he wants what's best. When we pray on behalf of somebody else, we trust that God knows that person and knows their situation far better than we could ever. In praying for others, we go before God with heavy hearts, wanting to see God move in that person's life. To be present with those who are hurting is to lift them up in prayer. Sometimes intercessory prayer can seem like you're just informing God on behalf of someone else. You're, it's sometimes it feels like we're just describing the situation, what's happening in this person's life to God. But intercessory prayer is not about informing God, but it's about believing in God on behalf of that person. Right? It's not about informing God because God knows everything already. It's about believing in God on behalf of that person, especially when that person loses faith to do so. When we approach God interceding on behalf of someone else, we're saying, God, I believe that you can do all things. I believe that you can heal and restore this person, but if you choose not to, 
then I trust that your plan is the very best for them. And when you intercede to pray for another person, don't just do it in private. Yes, our faith is both private and public. There is this private part of us because we have a personal and private relationship with God. But then there's this other side where our faith is public, where we are testifying and witnessing to who God is to this world. And I think when it comes to prayer, we like to fit prayer into this private realm. And this is oftentimes, this is why when somebody tells us that they're struggling, our response is, I'll pray for you. But how much more powerful would it be if we called that person or, when we, or we met up with that person in person and just prayed with them? Or what about what if we were to write out an email and send it to them? How much more powerful would that prayer be than just to say, I'll pray for you? One of the most stressful times in my life was when I had to ask um, my wife Esther's parents for their permission to marry her. And I knew going in that they didn't support our relationship because they did not want her to marry a pastor. So it had nothing to do with me. It was just my calling, it was my ministry, it was my job, my vocation. And so I went into that meeting, I went into that really stressed out because I had no idea how they were going to respond. And so I asked people, my closest friends, my family members, please pray for me because I don't know how this is going to turn out. But God knows me and knows what I need more than anyone else, more than even what I know. And so during that time, right before I was about to meet uh, my in-laws, uh, I was eating lunch with my friend, Pastor Doug. Many, many of you know him. And so after we finished eating lunch, I was dropping off to his car, and he just says, can I pray for you? And so we just sat in that car, and he prayed for me. And I was just so encouraged. I'm not saying I'm encouraged because Pastor Doug's prayers are extra powerful. No, his prayers are just as powerful as any of yours. But what encouraged me so much was that he was being present with me, praying on behalf of me to God, believing that God would make everything okay. And it gave me the confidence to go into that meeting and believe in God also. I believe that no matter how things were going to turn out, that I would be okay. And I wish I could tell you that they gave me emphatic yes, but it was more of a, I guess so. <laughs> but that's all I needed. I was okay with that. But it's, I believe it's because people were praying on, me behalf, on my behalf. But it was that personal prayer with Doug that really encouraged me in my time of need, in my anxiety. There's something powerful about when two gather to pray. There is a sense of solidarity and community that occurs when you can lift up a brother or sister in prayer. The way that we are present with those who are struggling is to intercede in prayer. The second way we are present is when we foster hope. When we foster hope. We are present when we foster hope. There is hope. These words may be hard to believe when you're in the midst of a storm, but these are the very words that each and every one of us needs to hear. Each of us needs to know that there is hope, but especially for the one who is suffering with mental illness, they also need to know that there's always hope. As Christian, we are people of hope. The gospel is a message of hope. When, we, when there was no way to save ourselves from sin, God made a way. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and to be our savior. And because of Jesus, 
we always have hope. With Jesus, we know that our current suffering is only temporary. That doesn't mean it's easier to deal with. But the hope lies that in one day, when he comes back, he will take away all pain, all struggle, all suffering. And and until that day, we can experience his power and victory in our lives right now. One of the most common forms of mental illness that we see in the Bible is depression. We see that Job experienced depression after suffering great loss, devastation, and physical illness. Job loses everything, and as he's, as he's reflecting and processing what was taken away from him, he says to God, God, I wish I wasn't born. Or what about Jonah? Jonah was sent on a mission to preach to the Ninevites, but what does he do? He runs away. And as he's running away, he finds himself in a storm. He gets swallowed by a whale, and he's given a second chance. And then he goes to the Ninevites and preaches a message of repentance. The Ninevites were saved. But how did Jonah respond? He gets mad. He says, God, kill me now. And what about Elijah? Elijah experienced great victory over the prophets of Baal. And then he runs away after being threatened by Jezebel, where he finds himself in the desert. He falls under a tree and says, God, kill me now. These are three men in the Bible. There are countless more who experienced depression. Depression and anxiety are very real. And when things get bad enough, it could feel like the weight of the world is on you and you have no hope. God wants you to go to him with your pain. He is big enough to handle anything that you can throw at him. It may be hard to see the light when you're in the midst of darkness, but there is hope because things can get better. The hope is that you can be better today than you are, than you were yesterday. So if you're struggling with your mental health today, please seek out help. God wants you to seek help and to find healing. As people, we believe in redemption and restoration. We have to foster hope for those who need it most. Jesus doesn't promise us a safe and comfortable life, but he does promise that he is working in our lives and that in the end, he will be victorious over all things. Suffering, struggle, hardship, pain, all of these things will fall at Jesus' feet. To be present with those who are suffering means reminding them that there is a hope that we have in Jesus. To be present, we need to intercede in prayer. We need to foster hope. And the last thing that we need to do is to embrace our weakness. To embrace our weakness. I think the reason why so many of us feel alone when it comes to mental health is because people are too scared to share their struggles with others. Right? Either out of a fear of being judged or maybe it's because people can't relate. And this is especially true in the church. I don't think, as a church, we've done a good job creating spaces for people to be real about their struggles and their pain. Many of us have been taught that when you come to church, you should be happy. That's why when someone asks you, how are you doing? Our default response is, I'm good, or I'm doing well. 
But when we do that and put on a happy face, pretending that everything is okay, we're actually creating a culture where no one wants to share their vulnerabilities and weaknesses with each other. It's hard to share your struggles when, someone else, when everyone else around you seems to be doing great. You don't want to be a Debbie Downer. You don't want to burden others with your problems. But that's exactly what God calls us to do as his church, as the body of Christ. We are to carry each other's burdens. And that can't happen unless we're willing to embrace our weaknesses. The lie that we've been taught to believe in is that you should never show any weakness. But by living by those words, the result is you're going to live a lonely life. The truth is, we all have weaknesses, and when we choose to embrace them instead of hiding from them, we invite people into our pain. When we invite people into our pain, when we embrace our weakness, we're including them into our community. If you're not willing to embrace your weakness, you're going to live a lonely life where people aren't being invited into the real you. There's a reason why support groups are so effective. You never hear about a support group where people are just boasting about their achievements or how great they're doing, right? Instead, support groups are all about facing your weakness and admitting that you need help. And what happens? You find the support of a community that's there to support you. We all have weaknesses. That's part of being human. Being present with others requires us to embrace our weakness, invite people into our pain so that they can do likewise. It's about creating a culture where we can be vulnerable with each other. Do not be afraid to embrace your weakness. We live in a world of brokenness where we are not immune to the effects of sin. But the only way to heal from our brokenness is to acknowledge it and to embrace it. It's in embracing our weakness that we bring our struggles into the light so that God can work in us. God loves to work in those who admit their weakness because it allows him to show his strength. When we are weak, he is strong. I'm pretty open with all of you, um, especially on the pulpit when I'm preaching. My wife even says sometimes that I share too much. But I think that's just the result of the culture of our church, right? Our church strives to be a place of vulnerability and transparency. But there's one area, one thing that I haven't shared with you or many of you in the church, and that is that I have some OCD tendencies, right? I have this thing where I have to do things or tasks in force, right? It sounds a little weird. Let me give you an example. So I have this thing where when I'm cracking my knuckles, I have to crack my knuckle four times consecutively. And if I don't do it, it just feels unsatisfying and I have to start all over again. Or if I read something that I want to try to remember, I'll read it four times before moving on to the next sentence because I feel like I haven't really gotten it yet. And so I wouldn't say this disorder is debilitating in any way, but it's just really annoying. This is a mental disorder that I have. And I used to be embarrassed about this, but it was in seminary where I really found healing from it. In seminary, I was taking this class on pastoral care to those with mental illness. And I learned so many things, but it was also just a healing experience for me because I found acceptance 
for who I am and just my brokenness and my weaknesses. In my final paper, I was writing about my experience of having OCD. And so after I wrote it, after I handed it in, my professor handed it back and he gave me this A. He gave me an A for the grade. And then he writes this note on it. And in the note it says, we are all struggling with something. I also have found in myself OCD, OCD tendencies as well. And then he drew a happy face. Right? It felt great to get that A, but it felt even nicer to be encouraged in that way. My professor, he was ministering to me with his presence by embracing his own weakness. That's what it means to be present with those who are struggling. There are so many people struggling today with some form of mental illness. I'm sure there are some of you in this room sitting down who have never shared your struggles with anyone. And I want you to know that you're not alone in this battle. There is always hope. My hope is that as a church, we can come alongside you to carry your burdens. Church, can we do that? Can we make that happen? Let's do our parts as the body of Christ in being present with those who are struggling with mental illness. Let's be present with those who are hurting and who are struggling and suffering, whether it's a mental illness, physical illness, or even emotional illness. That's what it means to be part of the body of Christ. We have a role to play in this area. And it's to stand with those who are hurting and to be present. Can we be present today with our brothers and sisters who are hurting? Would you bow with me? God, I feel like there are just some people in this room who really need to hear this word. They really needed to hear that, God, there is always hope. That in you, Jesus, we have hope. That the things that we're struggling with, especially mental illness, Lord, that these are things that we don't need to hide. These are things that we don't need to bury. But that when we bring them to the light, God, we allow you to work in us and to heal us. God, some of the things that we've been covering in this series have been really hard because it's so personal to us. But I just pray, Father, that those who are hurting right now with mental illness would find healing in you, that they would find a comfort that surpasses all understanding in every situation where they know, God, that they can fall under your arms and know that they are comforted and loved. And so right now, if you are struggling with your mental health, I just pray that you would seek out help, that you would go to brothers and sisters just sharing your struggles, but that you would also go to God because it is God who can heal you. It is God who can sustain you. And I just pray also, God, for those of us who know somebody who is struggling right now. I pray, God, that we would be your hands and your feet to be present in their lives, to walk with them in their difficulties. I pray, Father, even right now, that for each and every one of us in this room, that you would give us a face, that you would give us a person in our minds who we should be checking up on right now. 
I pray, Father, that you would give us somebody in our minds who we can check up on in this moment to just reach out and say, hey, are you doing okay? And I just pray, Father, that you would foster such a community here in this church where we can share our struggles and our weaknesses and embrace them, God, so that community can be done. Community not so that we can hang out with each other and have fun with each other, but a community where we can lift each other up because, God, living in this world is so hard at times. So I pray for courage. I pray for boldness. That as a people, we can just be honest with ourselves, we can be honest with each other. And just go to you, Father, just as we are. Because that's what you want. You mean us with where we are, God. So thank you, God, for this time, and thank you for your word. And I just pray, God, most of all, God, for each of us, Lord, that we would just continue to hold on to, to cling to, God, the hope that we have in you, Jesus. Pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.